Fulhamish is back for the season by Labbrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. And today we're looking back at yesterday's horror moments as in the 93rd minute Fulham's defence fell asleep and the aptly named Harry Winks steamed in to snatch all three points for Spurs. We're going to be looking back at that game, analysing the latest January transfer gossip and answering all your questions. I'm joined by three men who are very woke when it comes to Fulham. Uh, first of all, a man who is banking all the sleep he can get before Heatley Jr. arrives later this year, Drew Heatley. Hello. A man who only ever wakes early for Northern away days, Don Betts. Hello, hello. And a man whose dreams consist of false nines, Marcelo Bielsa, and trips to the Estadio San Mames, Ben Jarman. Spot on. Hello. How you doing? Yeah, very well. You? Not too bad, considering the circumstances after yesterday. I think... I'm holding up okay, but it was uh, it was a particularly tragic moment. We'll evaluate everything from the game yesterday. Uh, Drew, I put you in charge of three word reviews today. What's what's come through? All right, we've got a couple that uh, I really enjoyed, and just uh, uh, thanks to you because I'm eating a chicken nugget to uh, ease the disappointment of uh, yesterday's loss. I'm very much enjoying that. Well, I thought that it was just a particularly difficult day, wasn't it? We're here discussing a last minute defeat. It's Blue Monday, it's freezing outside, so a share box of chicken nuggets was was the least I could do, I think. Fantastic, it really is tasty. Okay, so three world reviews, we have a couple. Um, couldn't have a, a round of three world reviews without talking about Sol Bamba, who's uh, got in touch with Window of Discontent, so uh, a little nod there to the lack of activity so far in the window. George Singers was a, was a, was a highlight, bunch of winkers. <laughs> a lot of people trying to play with the, uh, the wink pun there. Uh, we got Robert Hopping at RobDH86, Risk-free appointment. A uh, little jab at Shad uh, Khan's comments when we appointed Ranieri earlier in the season. Um, and Jack and Loz with uh, finishing on a higher note. Uh, unlucky but spirited. Well, uh, do get your three-word reviews in. Uh, there were a lot yesterday, considering the uh, the dramatic nature of the defeat yesterday. Uh, just to say this season, Fulhamish is backed by Labbrooks. For exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. So... Well, it was a start for Ryan Babble. We'll start there, um, Ben. And I thought it was a very good debut from the man brought in from Besiktas last week. Uh, he missed a good early chance, which was well saved by Lloris, but really put himself about early doors. And uh, and you said on Twitter that you were pleasantly surprised by his inclusion. I was very surprised by um, his opening performance for us because before that, um, in the podcast last week, I thought the transfer was utter rubbish. Um, and I have to say, I was, as I said on Twitter, pleasantly surprised by his performance. I thought he gave us some some nice impact, um, some quite innovative playing in quite tight spaces, and some quite underrated strength, um, especially against a back three of uh, Alderweireld, Sanchez and Vertonghen yesterday. I thought he, he really um, gave himself a a platform to build upon and a good 55 minutes there. But he absolutely looked dead when he came off, by the way. Yeah, there were some good comments on Twitter uh, about Ryan Babel's uh, debut for us. Uh, TMD said Mitrovic didn't look as isolated when he came on, clearly has more football intelligence than the completely random and unpredictable AK. Uh, Michael B said good signing, just needs match fitness, adds more physicality to our attack. Dom, uh, would you agree? Yeah, I thought he was... It was helped Mitch because he was making the runs in towards him, giving him more options when obviously Mitch was holding up the ball. And when he went off, you know, 
Sess and Sherlock, I don't, they weren't getting close enough to Mitrovic as far as I'm concerned. I think that's one of the main problems we've had this season or in this poor run. A lot of the times we've played well this season in the games we've won, the reason we have won and scored that many goals in those games is because players have surrounded Mitrovic when he had the ball. I remember when we switched, I think it was the Watford game at home when we switched to a 4-2-3-1 in the second half as opposed to 4-3-3. And Mitrovic just worked so much better like any hold-up player does when he got players playing off him. I think... That showed in the Chelsea game when they didn't have a number nine against Arsenal and that's why they didn't really get any chances. So, yeah, I was impressed with Ryan Babel. Like Ben, I wasn't really that... Not I wouldn't say I was, I was unhappy with the transfer, but it didn't really spark any positivity within me when we signed mm. him. But I thought he played very well. I thought, you know, he, he, at least he was, he was putting the effort in as well. He wasn't just doing an Andre Scherler and waiting for a moment he managed to appear to his feet and then do nothing for the rest of the game. Yeah. But I, did, I thought he was, he, he was improving on what we've got, which is something. It almost looked like a two up front at some points in that first half because he was so close to Mitrovic and actually he was more central uh, at certain points and Mitrovic was going out a bit wider to receive the ball. Uh, It was a positive start in general from Fulham, Drew. Um, We were exploiting Spurs' high line and creating quite a lot of openings really with, with relative ease. Yeah, it was definitely the most positive 45 had under Ranieri. And, and maybe, I was thinking at the time, maybe that in the, in the season so far, especially at Craven Cottage that I've seen anyway, we were, uh, you just have to look at the sheer amount of corners that we got in the first sort of 20, 30 minutes where we were just causing Spurs so many problems and just not letting them really relax. And, and Barber was a massive part of that. And there was a lot of incredulous sort of reaction to his, to his transfer in the last week. And no, no, Ben's would have been very well informed, but there are some that weren't as well informed as Benjamin. You just got to look at him in relation to, to somebody like Mitrovic. You know, we've got defensive issues and we, we're going to sort of plug those gaps. But I think somebody like Barbel is going to do quite well for us. Um, and it did certainly contribute to what was a really positive first 45. I mean, um, Fulham, as you said, did have corner after corner. It, it was insane at some points in the first half. Finally, one paid off when uh, Lorente. You know, did what he was brought into the team to do, which was uh, put the ball in the back of the nets. <laughs> Fortunately, it was uh, it was ours, Ben. But that was a perfect moment for Fulham. With Spurs, especially, we all knew about their absentees. They would struggle to create a lot of chances without Kane, without Son. So getting ourselves in the lead felt perfect at the time. It, it was it was kind of I was really buoyant after that point. Well, it came at a time when we were massively on top of Spurs, and we needed to put all that pressure away. There are so many games we've had this season where we've put chance after chance at the keeper and they've gone down the other end and scored. It feels like West Ham, for me, was was the epitome of that, where yeah. we just put them under so much pressure. And we needed for it to, for it for that pressure to count, and thankfully it did with Llorente's mistake. I just wish that after that mistake we had pushed on in the manner that we had done in the opening 20 minutes, because from then on it seemed that we dropped a yard or so, and, and we didn't really use the ball as well as we did. And at the time, uh, after the goal, I said that we needed to keep pushing and we needed to do it intelligently. We needed to keep hold of the ball while whilst we had it and, and to keep pressurising. And we never really did that from then on out. And that is when you could sort of feel that we went back into our shell and the negativity in, of, of Ranieri and that sort of style of play that he has sort of came to the forefront. We did create the better of the chances, though, in the rest of the first half. Mm. Once we were ahead, obviously, there was the babble header, which actually was... I think he should have timed it a little bit better. And then there's the goal, the offside goal that we, you know, was, there was inches in it. And yeah, I mean, it's, his body's off, but it's, his body's on, but it's just his leg that's unfortunately offside for us. Which, and then everyone was sort of confused, obviously, with is it offside or not, obviously, because the goalkeeper saved it and, and things like that. But yeah, that, we were very unlucky. But I, I think, you know, we did kind of need that second goal because, you know, as soon as it's half time, it's basically. 
nil-nil for Tottenham in, in that sense. They can, they can get they refreshed after a break and go again. And I think it was unfortunate we didn't get a second goal. But, you know, first half, probably, one, probably the best half we played on the Ranieri so far, I'd argue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the best half we played against any of the top six, I'd say, this season. Yeah. So it was, it was good to see, but it was a shame we didn't continue with it in the second half. The thing that annoyed me so much about the disallowed goal was when you look at the replay, Mitro didn't need to be offside. He didn't actually gain an advantage. He would have... He would have been fine had he been a yard back because it fell so perfectly to him and it was a bullet header and actually Lloris did well to even get a hand on it but he never had a chance of keeping it out whether Mitrovic was onside or offside but yeah, as you say, there was some debate online whether it was offside and I checked the rules. It definitely was offside. There, there is kind of no real doubt about it. Second half, um, it was always going to be difficult to keep Spurs out. They were always going to come out with renewed energy. Drew, does that make it why it's more gutting, really, that it came from a fuller mistake rather than a good bit of Spurs play? Yeah, it's almost it's such a same old story. When uh, Don mentioned, you know, half time it's nil nil to Spurs in a way, and it is because we struggle to set sort of settle into games when when either once we've gone one up or when we have a break and we come back, and you can just see that we just we start to panic because we're not we're not sort of getting back into that rhythm. So you know we'll put too much weight on a pass or somebody's you know Brian's touch is going to be like completely off, and you can just see that after you know with that happening in the first sort of five minutes that. You know, Spurs are going to get something in, and quite quickly. And if they were going to get an equaliser, it was going to be within the first five or ten minutes of the second half. And so it proved. I mean, looking at the the Spurs goal for me, whilst Ream is to blame for the air kick, I feel like those kind of things happen. There was still work to be done from Spurs, and I felt like the combination of of Adoy and Rico could have done a bit better with the cross. I don't know what Adoy's doing. He kind of sticks his hands up in the air for some reason. And whilst I'm not 100% sure he was going to get to the cross anyway, he didn't really seem to put any fight into trying to put off Deli Ali or anything like that. It all just seemed way too easy. It was almost as if he had had a shout from Rico to to let the ball go. And that's why he's put his hands up and, and not challenged for it. But if there's any sort of uncertainty in that situation... You have to try and clear the ball, regardless if you're going to get clattered by your keeper or not. One thing is you're you're more than likely to get a free kick in that position than, than to to let in a goal. And I don't know. I just feel like there are periods in our play where we are completely naive, and I think that's one of them. And the other the other part is in in the second half of the, the other telling goal as well. I think the thing that changed at half time, as Drew says, when he come out nil nil, almost is they changed the way they played completely. They started to push Trippier up, they started to push Rose up and they started to look for that ball in behind and you saw it so many times with England at the World Cup when they pinned back our full-backs and they started to play in behind it sort of become a a five um, at the back and there was no attacking intent and I think the thing that we struggled with was covering that ground in midfield and covering the wing-backs and, and getting them up into threatening positions. It just completely nullified us and it's something so simple but something that has such a big outcome on the game was that. And I think the way to remedy that was probably to stop playing the wingers in, in Scherler and, and Babel and, and start maybe putting one more in the middle there and just having a sort of like one player off of Mitrovic would have been arguably better than that. We just conceded way too much ground in the middle. And I think that that's the way that people are going to get to us in this new 5-2-1 um, two, two, formation that Ranieri's playing. I think with that... As you said, with their with our fullbacks getting or wingbacks getting pushed further back, it also removes too many at your midfield. Yeah, and it completely isolates central midfielders, and the wingers don't really know how to react because they're playing off those those flying wingbacks. And I mean, that's why we did so well in the last two seasons because of our flying wingbacks. They were so critical to the way we play, and that's arguably been why we haven't been 
so great this season because we didn't actually reinvest into higher quality flying fullbacks. So I think that that Spurs sort of did that, and I think another thing that helped Spurs was Sanchez just did a job with Mitrovic the entire game, really. Yeah, and especially in the second half, Sanchez was just following Mitrovic wherever he went and frustrated. I mean, I don't know how he didn't get sent off personally because there was that there was the set there was the, there was the altercation between them two. After he really got a yellow card when he just ran when the ball went out of play for a throw by the Riverside sign and Mitrovic goes out and pushes back oh, yeah, Sanchez. Yeah. Yeah, big time. He lost his head. I think that's one of the first times we've really seen since the playoff final. I'd argue, yeah, we got off the just tackle on Kenny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was never. I mean, he'd lost. Yeah, him. I mean, but he'd, first... he'd lost his head in this entire game. He maybe lost his head in a moment then, but he, he was. I think if that game what goes on another ten minutes, he, he he doesn't stay on the pitch. He shed that reputation so well just by not getting himself in those situations, and also the fact that there's very few centre halves that can actually put one on Mitrovic and hold their own against mm. him as much as Sanchez did yesterday. And you know we know that he likes to you know play with his back against defenders and have a little niggle himself. And when somebody gives it back to the extent that Sanchez was doing, it really really got to, in his head. And if yeah, as you say, I thought he was either going to get a, a, a winner or get sent off, and he turns out he got none. But you know, but <laughs> I can understand some of his frustration when you look at the two penalty claims against him. Um, I don't always like to be here and, and criticise referees, but I think they're two shocking decisions. The first one in, in the first half, where it's a clear shirt pull by yep. for Tonkin. I mean, you, it's, it's being wrapped around his neck and over his shoulder. And then for me, where he's taken out by Lloris, I just think it's... Whether like Mitrovic was actually going to make any, any anything of the attack, I don't think is relevant. Lloris clatters into him. Lloris definitely makes contact and brings him down. I just think they're two stonewall penalties for me. I, I don't know if I'm alone in this. I thought the referee was terrible for both sides. If I'm being perfectly honest, I didn't yeah, think I it was just. I don't think it was one-sided. No, I think it, well, it was just terrible in but general. We've like, got we've come out much harder out yeah, of those decisions. Yeah, but there's also like the the Danny Rose dive which he booked him for. Yeah, the same challenge happens like five minutes later, and then it's then a free kick to Tottenham. Yeah. There was just no consistency. He didn't really have control of the game. I don't think he was sort of letting players have pretty much have a wrestle when it comes to Mitrovic and Sanchez and then like the one when Mitrovic basically wrestles Sanchez to the floor when Sanchez is the one that ends up getting booked it just, yeah. half his decisions yesterday just didn't make any sense like it wasn't being cons- it wasn't being consistent to, to giving a decision one way it was just all over the shot that's, that's why he lost nearly lost control of the game when Sanchez and Mitro were going at each other after the uh, the AEW inspired DDT so <laughs> <laughs> I mean he was letting it flow but I just I think at the bottom you do need a little bit of luck, and especially the one in the second half. That, that that's, I mean, we'd have probably only missed it knowing our recent penalty <laughs> record. But still, it's it's the kind of luck that we're missing at the moment. And you feel like if that was at the other end, it probably probably would have gone against us. I don't know. It feels like Laurie's comfortably gets the ball before Mitrovic when you look at the replay. But in real time, it does look much worse. The only thing I'd say is that I think had we had VAR this year, that we would have got that penalty in the first half for Mitrovic because that's blatant and. Judging by the rule change from last year into this, any sort of contact like that in the box results in a penalty. So I don't know why that's gone unnoticed, but should, should we have had the video assistant referee, I think Fulham would have got a penalty and would have. Well, the argument that in slow motion it 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 looks like it doesn't look like a penalty is, I think, redundant because the referee doesn't see anything in slow motion. I think whatever yeah. it looks in looks like in real time mm-hmm. should be the decision that's being made because there, if you look at the World Cup, there were so many examples where a handball situation was slowed down in the box and there was a penalty given every five seconds. Like, yeah. It should matter how it looks, in, how, what, it, what it's like in full time. Slow motion really shouldn't come into it really mm. because that's not how an official is going to see something. Um, the substitutions from Ranieri, uh, I, I was less than impressed, particularly the, well, the fact that he brought off Barbell pretty early on for, for Sessignon, which isn't a terrible substitution in terms of personnel, but 
it seemed to me like Babel was really making a contribution on the game and was really causing Spurs a lot of problems and we just brought him off a bit early. I understand he's he's maybe not completely match fit for a full 90, but he didn't look like he was struggling out there. And then taking Seri off a Cissé, for me, criminal. I think that Seri was doing such a good job in the middle of the park and we we lost literally that bite in the sense, and it just allowed Harry Winks and Coe to have even more space than they already did. Yeah. I yeah, think, yeah, I think it just became more obvious that those sort of late runs at the edge of the box were just going to become more prominent than they were in the first place. And it just also, you say it lost a snap, it also lost us the ability to keep the ball because as soon as we took Seri off, the passes were... Although he did have a few astray, and everyone will admit that, and every midfielder has a few passes that go astray, we really started to lack that ability to keep hold of the ball and to pick an intelligent pass. And had that change been Seri for Tom Kenny, for example... I think the outcome could have been different. I think that was it. it was Seri? He had a he had a yellow. I think he, it was probably the right, almost the right time to take him off. But it was who do you take him off for? Do you do it for Cisse or do you do it for Kearney? And that's and that's an, one argument for you know Ranieri's way of thinking is obviously he's going to shore it up. And we were saying yesterday that a point a point helps. Obviously it helps. But you know if we can try and nick a win against a Spurs side that wasn't you know the best it's ever been maybe Kenny was the right move to to bring on and and you know with Barbell as well I thought at the time I was quite annoyed that it was uh, it was too early but as you said after seeing some sort of the videos yesterday he was a bit he was blowing a little bit so I kind of get that mm-hmm. but it, for me it's just, it all hinges on the Seri the Seri substitution and I think that's what sort of that's Ranieri's philosophy in action and that's why ultimately we ended up losing I think one of the reasons why I think the Seri substitution is I think either Jack or Dave Kidd mentioned it on full time yesterday. It's that it felt like as he was making a substitution for the sake of making a substitution, yeah. Instead of actually tr- making it, it or, or making tactical sense because it just didn't. Because you're then basically playing a seven zero three, in essence, really. Because Chambers and Cece are both going to sit back towards the centre back, which is inviting pressure. Whereas you're being a creative midfielder, Romney Tom Kearney, let's say he's still going to be pushing the ball forward. Obviously, he's coming on. He's going to want to make an impact. Whereas I thought it was just a negative tactic and one that clearly wasn't going to work. Because well, don't make a substitution at all. I mean, it cost us arguably the points as well against Wolves. It was the exact same substitution he brought. Well, not exactly in terms of who he came up, who came on, but he brought off Seri. We were looking okay in the game. There was about ten minutes left, and Roman Saiz goes in and equalizes from a, from a similar kind of goal across from the left hand side and a late run into the box. It just don't bring him off. Seri can last a full 90. I, does he, do you think he's there thinking he's got to earn his money by making a substitution? God knows, but the one for me that was completely ineffectual is why you bring on Cabano. He had absolutely no effect on the game. I don't think he actually touched the ball once. And if he did, I can't remember it. But then again, Sherla was hardly pulling up trees. Well, he wasn't. But at the same time, why you don't bring on someone that's going to be completely ineffectual and someone that we probably know in our heart of hearts isn't the quality that we need to, to beat a Tottenham side even when they're depleted. He was a fringe player in the Championship and he's now getting you know runouts quite semi-regularly in the Premier League. He's getting more game time than he did last season. Yeah, which which tells you the problem that we have, I think. And, you know, considering it comes after, you know, five days of speculation he's going to Sheffield Wednesday where the fans there are kind of asking questions, you know, is he any, any good? They haven't even really heard of him and he's our only option that we've got to bring on at that point. That's a problem. If he's, if he's, he's got he's, a wonder goal there a couple of seasons no, ago, if, to if, be if fair. He's, if, he's, um, <laughs> if he's coming on... Because, oh, he's the only option we got there. Surely give someone, like, I don't know. I know. Vieto sat next to him on the yeah, bench. Yeah, but, but even, I don't, I know it's not a position, but even if he's going to bring, he, he is bringing him on because Sherla's rubbish, and, but it's like saying a substitution again. Like, even bring on, like, Luca Della Torre or something. He was on the bench. Like, just, 
obviously he's rumoured to be going out on loan, but I think, you know, Cabano, as much as I love him, he's one of my favorite, he was one of my favourite players in the last two seasons. It's just he's clear he's not there. So if you're going to bring someone on for the sake of bringing someone on, you might as well give youth a try. Mm. Well, you know, I, I do agree to some extent, but I think this is uh, a level where youth is just going to get completely exposed. Yeah, the youth will get exposed, but I just it just felt like... Again, it's just a substitution for the sake of making a substitution. Mm. I think yeah. we know as well. We do like using you. I think when we go, when it's confirmed that we're down, I think we'll see the, the them all get a run out. I guess like we did with the Chris <laughs> David and the Woodrows and whatnot when we went down last time. Yeah, sadly, a bit too late. But it's that thing, isn't it? I'd love to see you for as much as anyone else. But just when you're down there, I think. What um, difference could a point have made or holding on for the draw? Whilst I realise. It would have been an extra point. We'd been on 15 points now. That's not really the question I'm asking. I'm, I'm saying mentally, how big do you think that late goal could be for Fulham? Because it must be devastating. They're all off on holiday for uh, a week or whatever because we're not in the next round in the FA Cup. And it must, it, it, it feels a bit like a final nail in the coffin. It, the impact of not getting the point is far more significant than the positives would have been from getting it. I think both, you know, mentally and both practically as well. Like the fact that the, the manner of the, the the loss and everything like that, that is the biggest impact. Um, and a point, you know, it, it, we get a point yesterday and then we get a win against Brighton and obviously we are sort of back among it. But yeah, it was it was the fact that we didn't get the point is much worse than the fact that what the, the positives would have been as if we had it. I don't think that it was a foul nail in the coffin. I think the foul nail in the coffin was last week against Burnley. Yeah. Personally, I didn't think... I don't think a point would have made much difference. I still what's, think the, it, what's this? We're three foot into the ground. Yeah, it's just like it, I was resonating to relegation last week after we lost to Burnley. And I think, you know, you say, oh, it would bring confidence for momentum. But the thing is, our game isn't for another nine days. So I don't see that it'd been, it would have been that much of a springboard. I mean, it would have it would have been more confident going into that game, but I don't think it would have been as big of a momentum change as people were suggesting. I, I think, you know, it isn't, in the grand scheme of things, losing over drawing isn't, isn't going to make that much difference. I still think if we got a point, we'd still gone down. Maybe. I don't know. I just... Uh, even a point. Even a point, you were on 15. And it was it was seven up to Newcastle. It would have been six. Small, small, my, my small margins. Is, people are looking at these away games being winnable games all season, but we haven't won away from home all season. So I don't know where you're getting this idea we're going to win these away games. Because and even even and against top six, okay, we haven't got we haven't got even got a point yet, and we still and we've got to play what four of the top six, like, you know, five home games. My thinking is though the final three games, Cardiff at home, Wolves away, Newcastle at yeah, home. Probably, we'll probably be down by then. Yeah, so, but the, the thing is, I think Fulham just have to be in touch. I said for, by if, the time. if we're in touch from April, at April the first, then I think we've got a chance because we don't play any of the top six in the last two months of the season. After after Man City, after Man City away uh, home's done. Then for the rest of the season, the rest of the season what's in touch? Else. I say anything, anything less than six points. Six points is the one. I think six points. At, at the moment, we're adrift, and six points is is the limit. I think if you can swing it, if you can. So I think it's more points. important just to think about those last three. We might be more than six points adrift following that horrendous run of games in March. But if you can get into those final three games, and there's between three and six points behind. Wait, nine points. Still, nine points at that stage of the season when you're beating your rivals at the same time. Yeah, but keeps the, you up. the thing is, like, we've still got a better, or we've still got a better six points or seven points, whatever. Two other teams, because I don't see us leapfrogging the team necessarily in eighteenth at the moment. Yeah. So, I think you know, it's 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 really where we're at on April the first. Really, I mean, I, I'm res- I'm resigned to it now, but I think 
for fans, if we're within touching distance, as you say, within six points, come April the 1st, then I think people might think it might be possible. Here's a sobering thought. There's a tweet I saved earlier from MJG. In a nutshell, for us to stay up, if it's 33 points that gets you safety, then we need to play like the team in 13th place. Possible. But, you know, still a little bit long-winded at the moment. Uh, if it's 36 points, we need to play like the team in 7th seventh for the rest of the season. Now, I think it's going to be 36. Are we really going to have a run of form that puts us as the seventh best team in the Premier League for the next the rest of the season people just think there's we're going to start winning games from somewhere mm. I don't understand where people are getting this idea from but we still have a good team like this is a good, a good team, team season though so yes, but... I don't see why it's suddenly going to change now yeah, I think there's so much to say that we've we've had so many good performances but they've been for periods of 20 minutes 45 minutes 60 minutes we've never had a good full 90 I don't I don't remember. I think we've never had many bad four nineties. I think we just had bad parts of games. Sure. <laughs> exactly, but that's why that's the point I'm making, Dom. Is that like we have a good up to a period, and then it all falls apart. The naivety kicks in. Our game management just isn't there. Like you see it in the ninety third minute. Joe Bryan is taking the ball out in our half, and instead of keeping hold of it and trying to eat the space and eat the clock up, is trying to play a ball down the channel into into Sessegnon. And trying to find Mitrovic. But isn't that to be applauded? He was looking for the win. No. No. No, because it, it comes on. It comes, but here are you saying it, that we should have like, no, but it's no good we, to I us. Think, yeah, but I think it just comes to game management at that point. Yeah, like, like, if, you, like I mean, if, if it was the 86th minute, then maybe. But it's, it, there's 30 yeah. seconds left of the game. I think. Just hold the ball. I think in that, it, yes, a win would have been vital. But I think for, in that point, it's about game management and just like, okay, I know I said a point would have changed much things, but again, it's better than zero. So. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's just annoying again that we are. I know you can do this with nearly any team, but nearly every goal we seem to concede isn't through great play from the opposition. It's no, through it's our mistakes, own yeah, mistakes from our own players. I don't know how long we can continue to be plucky Fulham. We we can't do it anymore. Like we can't say, oh, we had a good game and we were nearly in touch. A Huddersfield fan rang up Five Live two weeks ago. And said exactly the same thing. They're on ten fucking points. They're done. Like we cannot continue to sit here and say we, we're playing all right for seventy minutes because it just won't get us anywhere. Like we need to seriously buck up our ideas. I think for me, Brighton feels like even do or die. Well, yeah, it, it might not be that a win saves us, but anything but a win. Well, it's just everyone <laughs> says, "Oh, Palace away is win." Palace away is not necessarily a nailed on win or even in, 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 remotely anything close to that because I think they're, we have Roy Hodgson's side they're playing at home you, we know when Roy Hodgson's sides are like at home and Palace have got a good record at Sales Park so I think you know everyone's like oh I think Palace is the must win game no they're all must win games because how far adrift we are and people it, it's basically 8 points because of goal defence anyway which is basically 3 games you need to win and your position not but I still believe and, I, and I'm not saying that we are going to stay up but I do believe Cardiff and Newcastle are both... Well, I think Cardiff have had a good season that surpassed expectations, but they are limited. And I really believe that Newcastle are a bit shite. Yeah, like, right. really, they really, really if, they shite. if they didn't win those three games in November, they'd be where we are, basically. And, then, and it gives us hope. And I think everyone else is gone. I, I think Southampton, I, Burnley, Palace, forget about it. They I might be on a low amount of points now. I don't think it gives us hope, though, really. Because I, I, yeah, I know we've still got to play them, which is good for us. But I, again, by the time we have to play Cardiff and Newcastle and, and Wolves at the end of the season, I think we'll be done anyway. So I think it's about us getting points of the top six, not waiting to play the easy teams. Yeah, it's it's complete. Look, it, we're not it, we're not down until we're down. Until it's mathematical, we're not down. And I'm I am with you in that sense that you know it basically there has to be three worse teams in the league than us. Now there are three worse teams in the league than us in the paper, and a lot, there's a lot of football still to be played. There's, it's not over. 
But, it, you know, obviously, we just got to be a bit realistic and look at, you know, those cold numbers there doesn't make for fancy reading. But, you know, strange things have happened in football. And, we you know, you, you could list them all. So it's completely And, and stranger things have happened to Fulham. Yeah, exactly. Like we've achieved hard... And, and you look at the numbers compared to the season in 07-08. This time that season, I think we maybe only had a point more, if that. It we was, were losing similar kind of games. But we it was all, aren't, weren't we doing better? Aren't we doing worse? This, or just saying, well, better, when I'm saying, and 13 14. Yeah, everyone everyone holds back to 07 08, hmm. which, is, which is great, but it's just one example. The last, most recent example, we, were, we went down. We were a point outside the zone at that point, but obviously, then what happened in those 16 games or however, many, however long we're left, how many ever games are left, could be completely different to what happened in the next 16 games or the final 16 games of this season. Like, we can't expect everybody to put a shift in on the pitch if we're going to chuck in the towel now. Like, I think there's still a lot of football to be played. I think anything can happen. It's on a sixpence, it isn't great. it? The thing about the thing about 07 08 and the thing about 13 14, one result, one moment goes differently, and those seasons change forever in the way that we look at them in the, in the context of it. 07 08, we stayed up on goal difference. If, if Reading had got a point like they should have against Spurs on the penultimate day, we'd have been down and we'd be looking at that season, we'd probably be calling Breda Hangland a flop. Well, and, and, and in the 13-14, we were 2-0 up against Hull yeah, in the, but, with three games to go. And if we hold on to that, like we should have, we'd probably be talking about Felix Magat, like the great well, fireman. I think, that, like, if we, it's, it's all... Yeah, but one thing that was in that 7 8 team was team spirit, desire. They wanted to... They, sit, come and, come, we were, they weren't saying that in the January of 7 no, I mean, They weren't. Yeah, but, yeah, but I, that Hodson had just come in at that point, right? Ranieri's been in for a... Um, two months now, and we lost big games in March. We yeah, lost when, when big we games. Saw, yeah, but when you saw Hudson come in, you, there was a difference up then to under, under Sanchez. Whereas under Ranieri, I've I've seen nothing. There's nothing has changed. Yes, we're conceding less goals, but we're still making the same stupid defensive mistakes. It there's this there's nothing in this team that I can see that means we, yes we got good players, but loads of teams are good players. I don't see any team spirit, any desire, any passion in this team. I don't see them wanting. They don't, they're not playing like they want to stay up. Ben, and, you're the obviously the great. Uh, diplomat in this situation. What's your thoughts? I, I think you all have a very, very good points. Obviously, I, I still think that we probably will go down, and I, I get it that we have a good team, but there are teams around us that also have some exceptional players. You, you know, yeah, it's just really hard to describe it. I think that every single team. In the Premier League has a number of very, very good players. You look at Wolves, they've got someone like Moutinho, they've got Jimenez up front, they've got Neves. Like, we have a good squad, but it's not working. We need to get it working, otherwise we're we're done for. I don't I, I agree with Dom, there there isn't enough desire out there, but I and I also show your frustrations about Ranieri. I just find it really difficult to sum up how I feel about the club at the moment. I just feel a little bit disenchanted with every single aspect of it at the moment. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that, Ben. Right, we'll take a little bit of break and we're going to have a look at uh, some of the January rumours. And I'm going to ask the question, do you start preparing for the Championship right now? Hi, I'm Collins John. And when I'm not rewatching my goal against Middlesbrough, I'm listening to the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Drew Heatley. Hello. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Ben Jarman. Hiya. Are we all enjoying our McNuggets? Apart from you, Ben, because you're vegetarian. I'm enjoying that I just bought the most beautiful football shirt in the world. What's that? AIK Stockholm's All Black Champions Edition. And how much does that set you back? I don't want to say it on microphone. Okay, is it three figures? Yep. Wow. Was it? Yeah. It was a nice shirt though. What do you do that? Wear it? Frame it? 
it comes in a box, so it will stay in the box. <clears throat> and I might sell it on eBay for double how much I bought it for, if I'm lucky. Oh, well, this is an investment. Sort of that, but you could say that about the limited edition materials I bought last year that are still under my bed and won't sell. And that cost me 250 quid. But it's all right. Do you get them out and look at them, though? Yeah. And everything's all right. And when I, when I buy my house, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a glass coffee table and put them in the middle. Okay. Training with Benjamin. All the girls will love it. This <laughs> is a new segment, How to Make Money. Exactly. Well, that's a, different two, po- one, two. that's a different podcast, and I'm sure it would uh, be listened to by plenty of people. Uh, just to say that uh, we have started a, a new thing at Fulhamish. We now have a WhatsApp channel, which is uh, quite exciting. So please do sign up to it. It's quite easy. The link is on our Twitter and it's on our Instagram as well. So go there on your phone, click on the link, uh, you send us a message, and then in return, just like that, sounds like that, you get loads of WhatsApps uh, from us. Not not like kind of spammy, but we, we send breaking news, uh, Fulhamish reaction to stuff. We've already had um, several hundred people sign up to it and feedback so far seems good so do sign up to the whatsapp and as a special bonus anyone that signs up to the fulhamish whatsapp by the 31st of january will be in a draw to win a copy of fifa 19 on ps4 which is not a shabby prize i would say it's a pretty good prize it's an actual prize really good it's the latest fifa that is i mean a prize. lads you're all, you're all in the fulhamish whatsapp channel what, what's your thoughts I think it's fantastic. So there's one bit that I in particular rate highly, and that's the look back, which comes uh, the Sunday or the Monday after one of our games, uh, with a with a little final uh, paragraph roundup of the game, upcoming fixtures, what the key people have said, and links to content. I think it's top. No, yeah. I really like it because as soon as we drop a podcast, you get a message saying that obviously it's now out and all the links are there. It's really easy for you to go and download it. But I also like the fact that if you can't get to Twitter or really struggling for reception in around Coven Cottage like most people do that as soon as the lineup and anything like that is announced it's already on your phone as soon as we know yeah exactly so it's a bit of a new thing bit of a trial uh, if you're already in the WhatsApp channel do let us know what you think of it and if there's any improvements that you'd like us to make within reason um, please let us know as well you know what our contact details are so uh, we're going to go on to the questions in just a moment but I had a talking point that I wanted to address do you start preparing for the championship now? Discuss. I don't know how practical that is. So I know that... Right, so, for example, Huddersfield have just uh, hired their new manager, right? And that is very much with an eye on the next three years. Is that confirmed? Next year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they used Martin from Wakefield. Martin from the, Wakefield. Uh, in the reveal video. <laughs> so they, they worked hard on that. Kudos to them for that. But uh, Oh, they've actually used him in the reveal oh, video? Oh, yeah, they have. Oh, yeah. genius. I need to check this out. In a track series. Very good. Oh, uh, fantastic. Props to them for that. And uh, is it Seawert? 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 Seawert. Seawert. So they've, they've announced him. And, you know, that is very much with a, an eye on next season. And... I suppose that's the difference of four points. So maybe maybe we should, but I just don't know how it works in reality because, you know, you plan for the championship. What's that saying to the players? What's that saying to the fans? What's that saying? What if, he, you know, what if the unthinkable happens and we go on a mazy run for the last 10 games of the season, we stay up and then we're lumbered with a load of players who can't cut it? And then obviously then we'll have the whole debate of, well, let's keep the ones that kept us up. I don't know. I just I, I feel like it's almost throwing the towel in. And in, in modern football, you know, we're in for a penny and for a pound. We spent 100 mil, like... Just carry on, try one more throw of the dice, one more roll of the dice while we're there, while the body's still warm. I think when it comes to preparing for the championship, I don't think any action should be genuinely taken in the January transfer window, but I do think you need a contingency plan if you go down. I don't think we had one last time. I don't think they had a clue what to do once we went down. Whereas I think 
they they've gone down with Fulham before. They know the mistakes they made last time. So I think if they they, they need to have some form of contingency plans in place, but n- not necessarily acting on it straight away. I mean, would you keep Claudio? Do you think Claudio would stay if we went down, Ben? I don't think Claudio will stay. And if he did, I personally wouldn't keep him because I don't think that his style of football would be good enough to get us back up again. I don't think that he plays on the front foot anywhere near enough to survive in the championship. Well, we're seeing last season, apart from Cardiff, and this season, you look at Leeds, you look at Norwich, and not really Sheffield United, but certainly those two teams, they play really exciting, attacking, dynamic football, and there's a reason they're they're top of the league. Yeah, if you look at the way we were playing under Claudio, it's not fluid, it's not dynamic, and it's not exactly innovative. So I think that if... If that does happen, the the ties may well be cut and we'll probably be looking for a new manager. Um, I don't know where we'd look, but there are certainly some managers out there that have really good track records. I'm actually quite disappointed that Nathan Jones has already gone to Stoke because that would have been someone that, had we gone down and he stayed at Luton, um, that we should have been targeting because he plays a really nice brand of football. Mm. and it's, he, he knows how to get the best out of younger players as well. I mean, he might have been in the championship by the time uh, by the time that happens, and exactly. maybe wouldn't have been so keen to jump ship. Although you'd have still thought we'd have been attractive to a manager that's just come up. Yeah, if we go down, Ranieri should go 100 percent because when he came in, there was still 66 percent of the season to go. We were in not out of touch. We were completely in uh, a position where he would be expected to absolutely keep us up. And if we go down, then he has completely failed in that role and we should say, sorry, thanks for your time, see you later. No, this sounds absolutely absurd, but like, it wouldn't even surprise me if Fulham went down and then re-announced the signing of Slavisa Jokanovic if he hadn't got a job. Imagine. I mean, it never works second time around. You never go back, though, do you? Unless you're know, anyhow. go back to her exes. Well, for better or for worse. Well, you, you, know? you make it the anyhow point. Like that is true, yeah. but then Eddie Howe went to Burnley with you know big ideas, and then came back with his tail between his legs. You you forget, whereas we yeah, really spend how all the media forgets about that yeah. six month stint in Burnley. Yeah, it was his decision, and then he, he you know came back yeah tail between legs. Whereas we said to Yukanovich, off you off you pop mate, and that you know that, that might take a while for him to get over that. Even if we did want him back, which I it won't. I don't think it would happen. It would be a bit be a bit weird. Um, so Cam Ramsey's January transfer rumour roundup is up right now on the Fulhamish website. I mean, this has literally happened in the last hour. I got, got a WhatsApp from Cam saying, oh, I've just uh, released the, the latest article. So as a bit of hot off the press, I can uh, reel some names at you and uh, and we'll see what the reaction coming back is. Uh, I've heard of some of them. I haven't heard of others, if I'm being uh, truly honest. I think the first one we've all heard of, though, uh, which is uh, Mishy Batshuayi. Who's obviously come back from uh, back to Chelsea? He was on loan at Valencia. He's twenty three years old. I mean, it's only ever going to be a loan, and we don't seem to have any loan spaces left unless we can find another loan club for Fossi Mensah to go to. Apparently, no. that's our responsibility now. I heard. So, what was your thoughts on Mishi? Despite him having an absolutely torrid time at Valencia, yeah, the entire I, Valencia team having a torrid time at Valencia. That's at true. It is indeed true. They've only won five games this season, I think. Yep. Um, I saw him play for Valencia against Real Betis and I've never seen a player look so out of touch with the system that he's been playing in. In a rigid 4-4-2 with Marcelino, he really, really struggled. Um, but I think, actually, if you got people, if you played him and Mitrovic up front with someone in behind or something similar to that, 
I do think that he could quite work for Fulham. I think he enjoys being in the, in the Premier League. He enjoys the physicality because in Spain, despite the fact that I love it, there's no real room for physicality there. Yeah, do you, so deploying him in a similar system to how Arsenal set up against Chelsea on the weekend with Ramsey in behind, yeah. bowing out like a set. Mm. Yeah, I think that'd be quite nice. Well, if he's having a nightmare at Valencia, talk about you know out of the firing pan and into the fire. <laughs> how's he going? How's he going to cope on in our living nightmare? Uh, next one, I think this like, might be one for Dom uh, Clinton and G. Oh, the Spurs. Or is he back at Leon now? He's, he? at, Marseille. No, he's at Marseille. Marseille. Uh, yeah, f- you know, again, it would be he's another option and better than what we've got to play off Mitrovic with his with his pace. He's a very very quick player, but yeah, I don't know. He just, Do we need another winger? Well, you saw Cabano coming off the bench. Yesterday, so I think that sums it up. I do quite like this one as well, but I also feel that there's an alternative in London already in Nkudu, who's basically the same player. <laughs> His tweet player. after the game yesterday was quite funny. Did you see it? No. Hello, you remember me? <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it? Isn't the stat he's now got the same Premier League assist, amount of Premier League assists in the Mesut Ozil? So, world class player. World class player. Uh, moving on uh, to Red Bull Salzburg and Moenes de Boer. Thoughts? Is he a centre half striker? Double. Oh, oh, yeah, striker. yeah, yeah, striker, yeah. Uh, so uh, he's he's, striker? N- he's netted twenty goals in thirty appearances um, this season. Twenty in, in thirty. But he has also been linked with with Liverpool. So you feel like he might be a bit of a stretch for us. Unfortunately, well, he's outside of the realms of my know how. No, I know about. I, mean, I, know. I know about double. I can go on about it. Go well, then. Uh, <laughs> Again, it's. <laughs> I mean, feel free to uh, to speak on a podcast. I don't know. It's up to you. No, the ball, the ball as a striker. I think you know. I, it, I would like, would like to sign him. He's, he's done really well at Salzburg over the last few seasons, but I just don't know if it's the right time for it. I just, yeah. I, it's just a lot, a lot of these players we're linked with would be, would be great signings, but they're not the right signings for now, if that makes sense. Were we to stay up and then we got De Boer in the summer, I'd be like, yeah, it's a great transfer. But at the moment now, I just think you need players who you know are going to make a difference straight away. I'm not necessarily sure we've got time to allow players to bed in. Yeah, I mean, uh, next one is is another striker who, again, doesn't feel like a signing for now, which is uh, Giassi Zardes from uh, Columbus Crew. I don't think he's a striker oh, God, forever. No. I, I don't think I'd ever want to sign Giassi Zardes. No, I, I mean, he's been linked with us, Huddersfield uh, and Leeds. I mean, he's six foot two. He's a bit of a unit. He's a bit of a unit, but he's also not particularly good at football. No offence to any of our American listeners, but that league is some way below average, in my humble opinion. Well, Brady Ruff Phillips was destroying it for years. So exactly. Be. The only person that I would take out of MLS right now, well, there are two people I'd take out of MLS right now. One is Joseph Martinez from Atlanta, and the other one is Miguel Almiron, also of Atlanta. By far and away, the two best players in that league. And probably the only two that are cut it over here. Um, next up, this is a centre half uh, from from, a, from Italy. Uh, Andrea Ranocchia from uh, from AC Milan, thirty year old, um, had a bit of a dodgy the, spell at Hull. Yeah, he went I briefly the name. on loan to yeah. Hull. Yeah. yeah, oh, well, it worked out well for them. So yeah, get him on board. Why not? But no, he's, he's experienced. He's, yeah, but he's just, he's too slow. He's very very he's, slow. He's, 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 way, he's, he's way too slow. And if we're playing through at the back, and I, th- I think you need. Mobile centre backs. The only right. thing that does point in a positive direction for him is that he has played in that three at the back system. One, in his time at Inter and very early in his AC Milan career. I feel like with Inter though, he was never quite good enough. Yeah. Well, well if you compare to if you compare the centre backs he got now and De Vrij and Skriniar, I think Ranocchio. I just don't. I don't know if it's just an Italian centre back who's not getting in the team at the moment and so linking with Fulham, but. 
You know, mm. we'll link one up. I don't know if it's, if it's on it's cameras. According to uh, FC Inter News from Italy. Yeah, I don't know if it's on if it's on cameras article, but obviously another Italian, not another, another Serie A based centre half. Where was Manny Benascia. I mean, we'd much rather go for Benascia than Ranocchio. I don't think we'll get either, but yeah, for me, Ranocchio doesn't make any sense. Well, that's pretty much it. He's also linked us with um, a 17-year-old centre-back from Hartlepool, but I can't imagine he's the answer to our uh, our relegation fears. But uh, do check out Cam's articles, uh, the January Transfer Rumour Roundup. Uh, it's on Fulhamish uh, most weeks during the tra- January Transfer Window. I know he's got one coming up uh, later this week as well as it, as it all ramps up. And uh, in the news today, it seems like Gary Cahill move is off, if we didn't think it was off already. Uh, it was very much a Sky Sports News understands, which means someone told Sky Sports. <laughs> it was probably Cam. Cam it was, was probably man, Cam's Cam. Cam's the man in the nose. So I mean, it seems, it, day, uh, to me, it seems unlikely for a man that wants what seems like triple R wage bill and wants a long-term deal, two things that we're just surely not prepared to offer. I mean, even if you were going to risk it, you don't do it for Gary Cahill. If it, you, yeah, you would if he was... Te- obviously, you would have te- if he was 10 years younger, but I think his age is not helping him or us here. He's 33 years old, I think. Why, well, I just... I don't understand why there wouldn't be a deal where it's it's a short-term deal if we go down, but if we stay up, we will give you that longer-term deal that you want. Because then it still implicates us if we stay up. But then, if we, then, stay, we're stu- we're but then if we stay up, we're, 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 you know, we've got we've got all the Premier League money and we have an experienced centre-back at the club. That yeah, seems like the, a... It, the Premier League money is not infinite. It does run out at some point and there becomes a point where you sit there and you think... I've got a 34-year-old Gary Cahill in my squad and he's earning 150k a week. That's two players or three players or four players that we could get in. It's also similar. One of the issues I think we had in 13-14 is we had too many old players on more than expensive contracts. Yeah, I always felt that this sort of seemed like the Johnny Heitinger transfer from that, that season where Johnny Heitinger come and I've never seen a man unable to move his knees when he runs. Like, I thought Johnny Heitinger was very good for us. It was rubbish. What? He added some solidity that season. Sorry, there was no such thing as solidity in 13. No, no, not when we were playing Dan Byrne at right back. But <laughs> I don't know. I thought Jordy Heitinger came in and did all right. But maybe You're I'm wrong. a. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm just, <laughs> maybe I'm just wrong. Uh, wrong. Drew, uh, before I give any more wrong opinions, uh, do you mind <laughs> opening the question back? Yeah, no problem. Okay, so we've got uh, quite a few this week. Oh, um, rush for them then. Rush through them. Okay, so just as a... This is probably quite a handy one, actually, and I think we've got the men in the studio to answer this. So this is from Richard Smith, and he says, for those of us not embedded in the world of football tactics and formations, what is a double pivot? Oh, who wants to take it, Dom? (laughs) I'll leave it with you. A double pivot is where there are two holding midfielders in front of a back four that basically stay anchored to that back four and distribute the ball accordingly is how I'd sum up a double pivot. Dom, anything further? Uh, just watch uh, Leeds away from last season and you'll see what double pivot is. That was the epitome of double pivot. If you also want to look at was double pivot... Was yesterday a double pivot when uh, Ibrahim Assise and Callum Chambers came on? Back five. That was a f- nail in the coffin, I think is what you call it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the only thing I learned recently was about the Travotta, the triple pivot. Oh, yeah. Do you know who plays Travotta quite a lot? Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho does it. Claude Puel does it. And Marcelo Bielsa also done it for Bilbao. Unreal. So both both Nano's currently in charge lost this weekend, so... And and Jose Mourinho stopped. I'm not not actually going to have you speak ill of Bielsa. (laughs) 
See, we didn't need to get Ben Nuggets. We just had to ask him that question. There we go. Lovely treat. Uh, <laughs> the uh, next question, and uh, this is something actually you touched on, Dom, yesterday um, about what would happen if we'd uh, kept the same team and just played them last uh, the, the, from last year. Would be any worse off? Uh, Dan Ridgely at Ridgely ninety five says, "Do you think if we signed Kalas uh, Piazon and Target in the summer instead of the twelve we had brought in, would we be in a, bit, a better position than we are now?" I'm not saying I've, when I've, I've spoken about this for quite a long time. I've said I said yeah, Mitro, Target, Kalas, Piazon, basically all I own is Barsha, Yojo. We wouldn't be doing worse. I can't see us being. We, it's we, almost we, impossible, really. We wouldn't be worse than we wouldn't. We wouldn't. Well, maybe points wise, it might be slightly different. But positioning the table, I think we'd be above Huddersfield because you know even when we didn't go up, we were better than them as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, I don't think we would have done worse, and I think you know there still would have been. That squad depth, not squad depth necessarily, but that's where that squad team spirit. Sorry, and you know, and then if we did go down, we would be prepared to come back up again. You know, if you, I know we're not anything like Burnley and the way that the one and the, the, the amount of money they have, but yes, they went down, but they were fully equipped to then come back up, and then were more equipped for the Premier League when they came up next time. I think we've totally, basically, got rid of the team that got us up last season. So if we do go down, we're, we're in hell, basically. I would never have backed this in the summer, and that's the important thing to say when when giving an opinion on this. But knowing what I know now, I would rather have just completely played the playoff winning team. Apart from the fact that you needed to replace Fredericks, I guess you can just slot Christie. Yeah, but yeah, I think Christie was in our team last season anyway, so it wouldn't be that edge. Well, just thinking about the more Christie has games like he did on the first half of, well, he had a bit, not a great game yesterday. But the, the more he has games like that, the, the closer Danny Simpson comes to joining the club, I think. And that's, oh, he, that's he, not something he was hardly uh, had a great day, game on Saturday oh, yeah, against exactly. Wolves. He got torn apart. I, 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 I reckon though that the belief in the side, the confidence from last season, would have would have got us some results at the start of this season, and then. You could have seen what you needed in January, seen what you needed in the summer, assuming that that team was good enough to keep you up. I... That school of thought is so strong. I would just love some sort of alternate reality where you could find out exactly how that happened. Cause... Yeah, because maybe and and maybe we'd be doing a podcast right now if he if that had have been what Fulham had done. And I know we'd have been screaming in the summer. We'd have been absolutely like, "What are you doing, Fulham?" Massively. But now, now looking at it, you know, and I know we've said, you know, it's not over till it's over, but it just seems like. There has been a massive opportunity to come back up and you, build, and it's kind of being squandered. Do you not feel that perhaps, if we're looking at it cynically, the squad that come up was quite paper thin in terms of quality and depth? Because it was, it definitely aside, in depth. aside the starting eleven and maybe a handful more that we used that season, there wasn't a great deal of depth out there, and then Bad we lost any. significant um, reinforcements and centre half and. All the players that you've named there, and we didn't, we haven't really replaced it since then. So it was sort of felt like a paper thin championship, really like was. really top level championship side that went on an incredible run and topped it off with the best day of our lives, but then didn't didn't use the platform that they had to go on. You also couldn't equate for the fact that Tom Kearney would start the season injured. So would mm-hmm. Tim Ream. Signing yeah, Tim Ream now for really awesome. lost huge amount of pace mobility just seems to have completely dropped off a cliff so you did need signings no we needed signings because after our lone players left probably about 13 first team players left yeah exactly we bring see, back Ragnar Sigurdsson 
it's the curse of the playoffs as well. Everybody says, you know, you, you don't have that long to prepare. So like I was, uh, And it was a World Cup summer. Yeah, and a World Cup summer. So a friend, I was with a friend at the game yesterday and he was telling me uh, one of his mates is a scout at uh, a leading championship team and they've been given the green line to look at Premier League players now. Uh, and you can't imagine that we were ever given that green... Uh, say what you want about Khan and the system, but we can't have been given that green light until, you know far far later even maybe at all if we're in the playoffs and all the way to the final I don't know I don't know how it's all set up but like the point being is that you know if you're riding high in the championship and you get the green light to start scouting for next season straight away Wolves could do it because they were cutting they, they were firing away up at you know at New Year's well you'd, you'd imagine you something like Jao Moutinho was potentially in the bag last January Exactly, because they can and they know and, and the players that are going there know they're going to be playing Premier League football next season they were already laying the foundations whereas we you know, it's always the same with the playoff winners. You you have a considerably shorter window of time to get those replacements in, and particularly in a World Cup year. And with an early transfer window deadline. Exactly, which, you know, it's a fucking stupid idea. I still think that if we're the only ones doing it, it's just absolutely, it's just absolute suicide from the Premier League, but whatever. All of these things together, you can kind of see how things have been a bit, it doesn't excuse some of the mistakes that have been made in the transfer window, but I don't know. They're all factors that need to be looked at and sort of appreciated, I think. Uh, what else is coming in, Drew? Okay, we've got um, Justin Sanders at Justin A. Sanders. Does the fact that Cess has struggled at this level make a significant impact on any prospective transfer fees for him, or does his age and high ceiling overcome any second thoughts potential suitors may have? I think it's, it might actually be a good thing for us that he's not necessarily performed well because. A lot of people do forget he's still eighteen. And I think he's. I don't, even when he went down, I still think he'd stay with us because he's not. He, he knows he's going to be guaranteed playing first team football. I think he's got an intelligent head on that. He knows that playing football's good for his progression. At the moment, you just look at Callum Hudson Odoi at Chelsea. He's rejecting deals from Chelsea because he sees himself playing more under Bayern Munich with the outgoing Robin and Ribery. So I think he's. I think for him not necessarily banging in the goals in the Premier League might be a good thing for us. Not. Because he would he would be would be going anyway. Because I think even if we did go down, he, he did have a good season. I think he still might stay. So I think it's good for us. I think yeah, Cess, as people as I said, people forget he's only eighteen years old. Yeah, like he should like if you think if you think about your youth team, your youth team is under twenty three. That's currently five years hmm. over his age. So I think you know people forget he broke into the team so young. I mean, when he was training with first team squad, he was still only fifteen. at at some stage so towards the end of the season before he made his debut so I think yeah no, him not playing well in the Premier League isn't isn't an issue I think I think there's a couple of players this season who in the summer we were you know people talking about going away but have, have performed so below par that they're not going to come on the transfer fees we want is, is anyone going to buy Kearney? Is I anyone actually going to spend, spend the money that we would want for Tom Kearney? West Ham will 100% spend it whether they do it's it this like January, West Ham each chance, yeah, it? it's it's written in the stars. He doesn't want to leave London. He'll go to West Ham eventually. I'd almost put fifty quid on it, and I'm not a big bet. <laughs> Maybe I just there's a few players in there, and you even look at someone like Seri. You look at Anguissa. Yeah, no, we, is anyone going to pay the money for Big Frank? Like, no, we, we brought him in for a new enough thirty mil on deadline day. And how do we know it's thirty mil straight up? It's probably thirty mil in add-ons. Yeah. It it's still a lot of money that we paid for him and I can't say I think you will be able to recoup the most of the Surrey money we'll, we'll, yeah. to be fair we basically paid nothing for him anyway because we, we worked all the money in the Maxim the Marshall deal but I think I think someone will take a pun on Surrey because they know he's got quality I mean you've only got to look at through the Paulinho to Barcelona transfer and the tide's turning on Surrey anyway like he, he's you know not doing himself any harm at the moment with, no. in the last couple of weeks so fair enough uh, any few questions we can run through Drew um, probably uh, one more I think uh, this is from Colm Nabola. 
Mukhnabola, sorry. That's an important uh, addition. Uh, Ranieri, in his post-match comments, said there was no game management towards the end of the match. Should some of that blame be directed at him then for not instructing the team, uh, for example, Sergio Rico, to slow down his, his goal kicks uh, to make sure that uh, we took a point? Um, because we mentioned this earlier. Uh, or is it all down to the players for not being sensible enough to do it themselves? Well, 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 well seeing it's got the word management in it, I would probably point it towards the manager. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But I think that it is, they're both, well, they're both to blame. I mean, you know, it seems like we just didn't understand how to defend as soon as the full official put his board up for the other minutes. Yeah. We turned into a non-league side defending. And then when you can see that panic, when we're, it's the same as when, you know, the beginning of the first half, when we start to panic, we really start to panic and it's just an absolute rudderless ship. So, yeah, I mean, Ranieri is, and, he, and he's the one who's sort of calling for it after the game, but uh, yeah. Where, as an old school Italian manager, do you think something like game management would be one of his Well, also, why are they not listening to him? Why are they not listening to him about penalties? Why are they not listening to him about anything? It seems quite worrying. Every game he seems to come out and say that someone didn't listen to his instruction or something like that because it's too nice that's what it is I think he is too nice bring back Felix it's so difficult to get a a squad of players in this um, situation motivated for being nice to them surely you should just I don't don't really know I don't know what type of manager you need to get in I've never been there myself but kick a boot at him yeah kick a boot at him It it does feel like he's too nice and the game management thing it's it's fifty-fifty in terms of blame. Obviously, players have common sense, but they're not the most smart. They're not the smartest players in the world. Also, they're not going to be able to look up at the scoreboard to figure out what time it is, are they? So, okay. I do think it's it's half it's six of one, half a dozen the other. For Ranieri to try and escape the blame doesn't befit the crime for me. Indeed. Well, just to say this season, the questions are sponsored by Putney Pies, the finest pies in all the land. And uh, get 10% off your food by quoting the code who ate all the pies. So uh, we're playing Brighton in uh, just over a week's time. So it's a a week, weekday fixture. Make sure you get down there for your pre-match meal. Say who ate all the pies. Say full admission, get 10% off. Absolute winner. Maybe book your table now. (laughs) <laughs> I can't wait for my pie. I'm definitely going to do that on the Brighton game. I'm actually very, I'm actually very. Maybe we should do a Fulhamish trip. Yeah, yeah, I reckon so. I'm in pre-match pie after uh, Brighton. There you go. So we'll uh, we'll be there before the game, having a tucking into a. I don't know what. A, what's your what's your pie of choice? A chicken and leek. Oh, I love a steak and ale pie. Me. Yeah, Dom. Booty. <laughs> uh, ben, it's got to be veggie, isn't it? Yeah, normally a veggie pie. Veggie chicken pie. and leek. Hold the chicken. Yeah, just a leek pie. Corn do a lovely chicken and leek pie. Corn don't do anything that's lovely. <laughs> no, let's not go down this road. I, know, I was waiting for this powder keg. All right, Drew, um, we're just reaching the end of the podcast as secretary for the day. Is this your first time being a secretary? It's my first, yeah, I'm, I'm beyond honoured. Wow. Yeah. Um, you get to choose the pod name. So what was your favourite three-word review that you'd like to choose? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, amalgamation of some and also with a little dash of my own and just say uh, 93rd minute winker. So who does the credit go to? Well, is it just you? It's kind of... I don't want to say it's just me because I'm sure there's been there, but I can't find any that say that. So I'm going to have to say it's me. It's a very... Uh self-aggrandizing thing to do in your first uh, secretary uh, job but fair <laughs> enough mate you, you... I'm grabbing that brass wrong yeah fair enough last minute winker it is uh, we will be back uh, well we do, Ben's doing a stats show this week so get your questions in now for the stats show yep. any stats based queries that you have uh, we're recording that on Wednesday and then Fulhamish Extra will be out 
next Sunday, uh, just before the Brighton game. So we'll be looking ahead to the Brighton game. Uh, Dom has got some potential corkers lined up for Love Sport. Uh, so make sure you check out the show live from 8.30 till 10 on Love Sport. And then we'll probably bring you the best interview uh, on next week's Fulhamish Extra. So have a good weekend off. I think we all need it after the heartbreak of yesterday. And uh, we'll be back raring to go against Brighton for what is a very very important game whether it keeps us in the Premier League whether we win or not who knows but it's very important that we get a win on the board at least to bring some confidence back to the fans and the team so uh, to Drew Heatley thank you very much thank you uh, to Don Betts thank you very much All right. to Ben Jarman thank you very much to Samuel and we'll see you very soon take care Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. A cash recommends. recommends.